are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney. Throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook. And there, you can discuss at the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group the reading for today with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 251. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 19, Paragraphs 611 to 617. 611. Pilate was again confronted with Jesus in the palace and was bestormed anew by the Jews to condemn him to death of the cross. Convinced of the innocence of Christ and of the mortal envy of the Jews, he was much put out at Herod's again referring the disagreeable decision to his own tribunal. Feeling himself obliged in his quality of judge to give this decision, he sought to placate the Jews in different ways. One of these was a private interview with some of the servants and friends of the high priests and priests. He urged them to prevail upon their masters and friends, not any more to ask for the release of the malefactor Barabbas, but instead demand the release of our Redeemer, and to be satisfied with some punishment he was willing to administer before setting him free. This measure Pilate had taken before they arrived a second time to press their demand for a sentence upon Jesus. The proposal to choose between freeing either Barabbas or Jesus was made to the Jews, not only once, but two or three times, the first time before sending him to Herod and the second time after his return. This is relayed by the evangelists with some variation, though not essentially contradicting truth. Matthew twenty-seven seventeen. Pilate spoke to the Jews and said, You have brought this man before me, accusing him of perverting the people by his doctrines, and having examined him in your presence. I was not convinced of the truth of your accusations, and Herod, to whom I have sent him, and before whom you repeated your accusations, refused to condemn him to death. It will be sufficient to correct and chastise him for the present, in order that he may amend. As I am to release some malefactor for the feast of the Pasch, I will release Christ, if you will have him freed and punish Barabbas. But the multitude of the Jews thus informed how much Pilate desired to set Jesus free, shouted with one voice, Enough, enough, not Christ, but Barabbas, deliver unto us. 6.12 The custom of giving freedom to an imprisoned criminal at this great solemnity of the Pasch was introduced by the Jews in grateful remembrance of the release of their forefathers from servitude, by their passage through the Red Sea, 
when the Almighty freed them from the power of Pharaoh by killing the firstborn children of the Egyptians and afterwards annihilating him and his armies in the waters of the Red Sea. Exodus 12.29 In gratitude for this favor, the Jews always sought out the greatest malefactor and pardoned him of his crimes, while they refused such clemency to those who were less guilty. In their treaties with the Romans, they expressly reserved this privilege, and the governance complied with it. But in the present instance, they failed to follow out in their demands what they were so loudly proclaiming in regard to Jesus. According to the law, they were to demand the release of the greatest criminal, and this they proclaimed Jesus to be, yet they persisted in demanding the punishment of Christ and the release of Barabbas, whom they judged less guilty. In such blindness and perversity had the wrath and envy of the demon cast them, that they lost their light of reason even in their own affairs and against their own selves. 6.13 While Pilate was thus disputing with the Jews in the praetorium, his wife, Procula, happened to hear of his doings, and she sent him a message telling him, What hast thou to do with this man? Let him go free, for I warn thee that I have had this very day some visions in regard to him. The warning of Procula originated through the activity of Lucifer and his demons. For they, observing all that was happening in regard to the person of Christ and the unchangeable patience with which he bore all injuries, were more and more confused and staggered in their rabid fury. Although the swollen pride of Lucifer could not explain how his divinity could ever subject itself to such great insults, nor how he could permit his body to suffer such ill treatment, and although he could not come to any certain conviction whether this Jesus was a God-man or not, yet the dragon was persuaded that some great mystery was here transpiring among men, which would be the cause of great damage and defeat to him and his malice, if he did not succeed in arresting its progress in the world. Having come to this conclusion with his demons, he many times suggested to the Pharisees the propriety of ceasing their persecutions of Christ. These suggestions, however, since they originated from malice and were void of any power for good, failed to move the obstinate and perverted hearts of the Jews. Despairing of success, the demons betook themselves to the wife of Pilate and spoke to her in dreams, representing to her that this man was just and without guilt, that if her husband should sentence him, he would be deprived of his rank, and she herself would meet with great adversity. They urged her to advise Pilate to release Jesus and punish Barabbas, if she did not wish to draw misfortune upon their house and their persons. 6.14 Procula was filled with great fear and terror at these visions, and as soon as she heard what was passing between the Jews and her husband, she sent him the message mentioned by St. Matthew, not to meddle with this man, nor condemn one to death, whom she held to be just. The demon also injected similar misgivings into the mind of Pilate, and these warnings of his wife only increased them. Yet, as all his considerations rested upon worldly policy, and as he had not cooperated with the true helps given him by the Savior, all these fears retarded his unjust proceedings, only so long as no other more powerful consideration arose, as will be seen in effect. But just now he began for the third time to argue, as St. Luke tells us, insisting upon the innocence of Christ our Lord, and that he found no crime in him, nor any guilt worthy of death, and therefore he would punish and then dismiss him. Luke twenty-three twenty-two. As we shall see in the next chapter, he did really punish Christ in order to see whether the Jews would be satisfied. But the Jews, on the contrary, demanded that Christ be crucified. Thereupon Pilate asked for water and released Barabbas. 
Then he washed his hands in the presence of all the people, saying, I have no share in the death of this just man whom you condemn. Look to yourselves in what you are doing, for I wash my hands in order that you may understand they are not sullied in the blood of the innocent. Pilate thought that by this ceremony he could excuse himself entirely, and that he thereby could put its blame upon the princes of the Jews and upon the people who demanded it. The wrath of the Jews was so blind and foolish that for the satisfaction of seeing Jesus crucified, they entered upon this agreement with Pilate and took upon themselves and upon their children the responsibility of this crime. Loudly proclaiming this terrible sentence and curse, they exclaimed as blood come upon us and upon our children. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five 6.15 O most foolish and cruel blindness, O inconceivable rashness, the unjust condemnation of the just and the blood of the innocent, whom the judge himself is forced to proclaim guiltless, you wish to take upon yourselves and upon your children, in order that his blood may call out against you to the end of the world. O perfidious and sacrilegious Jews, so lightly then weighs the blood of the Lamb who bears the sins of the world and the life of a man who is at the same time God. How is it possible you wish to load with it yourselves and your children? If he had been only your brother, your benefactor, your master, your audacity would have been tremendous and your malice execrable. Justly, indeed, do you merit the punishment which you meet, and that the burden which you have put upon yourselves and your children allows you no rest or relief in all the world. It is just that this burden should rest upon you heavier than heaven and earth. But alas, though the divine blood was intended to wash and cleanse all the children of Adam, and though it was, in effect, poured out upon all the children of the Holy Church. Yet there are many belonging to it who make themselves guilty of this blood by their works in the same manner, as the Jews charged themselves with it both by word and deed. They did not know or believe that it was the blood of the Savior, while Catholics both know and confess that it is their Redeemer's. 6.16 The sins and depraved lives of the Christians proclaim louder than tongues their abuse of the blood of Christ, and their consent to the guilt in his death which they load upon themselves. Let Christ be affronted, spit upon, buffeted, stretched upon a cross, despised. Let him yield to Barabbas and die. Let him be tormented, scourged, and crowned with thorns for our sins. Let his blood interest us no more than that it flow copiously and be imputed to us for all eternity. Let the incarnate God suffer and die. If only we are left free to enjoy the apparent goods of this world, to seize the pleasing hour, to use creatures for our comfort, to be crowned with roses, live in joy, let our power be unrefrained. Let no one seek preference before us. Be we permitted to despise humility, abhor poverty, hoard up riches, enrage, engage in all deceits, forgive no injuries, entertain the delights of carnal pleasures. Let our eyes see nothing that they shall not covet. Such be our rule in life without regard for aught else. And if by all this we crucify Christ, let his blood come upon us and upon our children. 6.17 Ask the damned in hell whether these were not the sentiments expressed in their works as described by Solomon, and whether it was not because they spoke thus foolishly in their hearts that they were called impious and were so in reality. What else, except damnation, can they expect to abuse the blood of Christ and waste it upon themselves, not as such who are seeking a remedy, 
Where do we find among the children of the church anyone that would willingly permit a thief and malefactor to be preferred to him? So little is this doctrine of humility practiced that one excites surprise if he allows another just as good and honorable as himself, or even more honorable, to take precedence. Though it is certain that no one can be found as good as Christ or as bad as Barabbas, yet there are innumerable men who in spite of this example are offended, and judge themselves disgraced if they are not preferred and exalted by honors, riches, and dignities, and in whatever pertains to the ostentation and applause of the world. These are sought after, contended for, and solicited in such things, are consumed the thoughts of all, the exertions and powers of men, almost from the time in which they can use their faculties until they lose them. The most lamentable misfortune is that even those who, by their profession and their state, have renounced and turned their backs upon such things do not free themselves, while the Savior has commanded them to forget their people and the house of their parents. Psalm 44.11 They devote to them the best part of their human existence by giving them their attention and solicitude in the direction of their affairs, their best wishes and care in the augmentation of the worldly goods. It seems but a small matter to them to engage themselves in these vanities. Instead of forgetting the house of their father, they forget the house of their God in which they lie, and where they are divinely assisted to gain a salvation, an honor and esteem never possible in the world, and where they receive their sustenance without any anxiety or worry. They show themselves ungrateful for all these benefits by drifting away from the humility due to their state. Thus, the humility of Christ our Savior, his patience, his injuries, the dishonor of the cross, the imitation of Christ's works, the following of the doctrines, all is left to the poor, to the lonely ones, to the weak and humble of this world, while the ways of Zion are deserted and full of wailing, because there are so few who will come to the solemn feast of the imitation of Christ our Lord. This concludes our reading today for day number 251. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 19, Paragraphs 611 to 617. Every Palm Sunday, the crowd cries out, Crucify him, crucify him. We say, Release Barabbas, release Barabbas. And today we actually get the reasoning why that happens. Maybe you're like me and... I honestly didn't know why it was always a custom to release one prisoner on the Feast of Passover, but today we learn why. The Feast of Passover is about the angel of death passing over the homes that marked it by the blood of the lamb, and there was a special meal that they ate. And so, remembering all that God had done for the Jewish people, not only through the Passover, but here, that the Almighty freed them from the power of Pharaoh as they were led out of slavery into freedom by the parting of the Red Sea. In gratitude for this favor, the Jews always sought out the greatest malefactor and pardoned him of his crimes. And that is why now, because of this remembrance of the release of their forefathers, just as they were released, they seek that pardon for someone. It's a powerful thing to be forgiven. To know that I've done something and someone has let me go of it. And we are forgiven. 
We're forgiven by Jesus. We have done wrong, but he forgives us. We understand this now. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I'm grateful that you have listened to today's reading from the Mystical City of God. I hope that you'll tune in again tomorrow as we continue to make our way through this spiritual classic. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.